Hey everyone, back again with another greatest hits episode. Is I'm gonna I'm gonna spend time with my newborn son. Uh, put out a couple greatest hits episodes that I don't think they uh, that got the love they deserve. This episode did. It was the second most listened to episode on the BK Show podcast, featuring Chase Diamond. Chase is a legend in the ecom space when it comes to email marketing. Uh, he was nice enough to work with me so that we could give you a hundred dollars off his course. So if you want to check out Chase's email marketing course for e-commerce, go to learnwithchase.com. You'll find that in the in the show notes. You can also find his Twitter link. I would highly recommend following him on Twitter. Uh, I think you're going to learn a lot about email marketing today, specifically e-commerce email marketing. Uh, and again, just go follow Chase if you want to learn more. Um, but if you want to buy his stuff and you want $100 off, go to learnwithchase.com uh, where you can find his courses. Uh, so enjoy this episode, uh, replay of episode number 28 with Chase Diamond. Hey, welcome to the BK Show podcast. This is episode number 28, and I am joined today by a self-proclaimed email marketing nerd, Chase Diamond. I met Chase on Twitter. I've been following him for quite a while, so it was great to have him on the show. To give you a little background, Chase has driven 50 plus million dollars in email revenue for his clients. He is a partner at a seven-figure e-commerce email marketing agency. He uh, helped make a course on Founder. He has his own email marketing course. He has an advanced email marketing course. This guy's all email, if you can't tell. Uh, I've been following him for quite a while on Twitter. Uh, we started interacting uh, a couple months ago, and then just recently I said, hey, you want to come on the show? I'd love, to, I'd love to have a chat with you. So I'm excited to have him on today, excited to learn his story, how he's gotten to where he's at at just 28 years old, and talk a little bit about email marketing. I, I want to learn why he does what he does. Uh, who he does it for, and then talk a, a bit about his course. So if you want to check out his course while you're listening to the episode, you can check it out at learnwithchase.com. Otherwise, please welcome to the show, Chase Diamond. Chase Diamond, welcome to the show, buddy. Thanks, man. How are you? Uh, I'm good. It's great to finally actually meet you. I feel like uh, the internet has done wonderful things, right? Like I feel like I know you. We were kind of talking before the call. Like, uh, you know, I, I kind of want to j- come join your, uh, your, your basketball game with your brothers and um, and meet your daughter, uh, who I feel like I know, right? You just you, you post about your family, and so it's it's nice to be more than internet friends with somebody and just like get to know them. Likewise, man. No, I'm pumped to chat. Anytime you want to cl- come play basketball, you're welcome. Wednesdays and Sundays are typically our days in Orange County, so come out. <laughs> I definitely would like to be in Orange County right now. It is uh very cold, and there's white stuff on the ground here in Wisconsin. So I'm uh I'm. I'm looking forward to some warmth somehow this winter, but uh, yeah, no, it's it's great to meet you in person, and I feel like I've seen you around everywhere. Like I, I don't think I knew your name a year ago, uh, and then as the internet kind of does, I don't know the internet or the, or the universe. Like I started seeing your name, right, and I started seeing uh, this email guy, or I started, you know, I started researching. Like I, I'm trying to build something um, where I'm kind of the publisher, right? I want to bring in people to create courses on my platform around e-commerce and, and not have to be the guru. Um, and so I found Founder, right? And then I saw your course on Founder, and I, and you know, then I followed you on Twitter, and then I started seeing other people I know talk about you on Twitter. And uh, the, I, I don't know, I would say Twitter or the universe conspired to make uh, this podcast happen. So I'm just I'm just glad to get to know you, man. I, I want to learn your story. I don't know a ton about you other than what I've seen on social media, which you know, as most people know, that's not really the whole story. Yeah, no, absolutely. I kind of equate some of this things. I feel like with you and other people as well, it's the same type of thing. It's almost like when you buy a car, you never really notice that car on the freeway until you've purchased it, right? And then you start seeing it everywhere. You can't unsee it. It's kind of one of those things like, you know, with you and some other people, once you kind of get into the realm and the circle, you know, you, you just happen to be everywhere, right? Maybe the platforms are serving you content because you've engaged with it before 
I don't know what it is, but that's actually a massive compliment that you're seeing me everywhere. So thank you. <laughs> well, again, I was telling you before the call, when you put your course out, I, I couldn't help but see you everywhere. You are the guy who just shouts at the rooftops, hey, I have an email marketing course. Hey, did you know I do email? Uh, I also have an agency. Plus, email's really cool. Just all day long, you find a different angle to talk about email. And I, I don't know, I admire it. Like somebody once told me, uh, you know, uh, Scott, if, you, if you're listening, shout out to Scott. He just said, you know, what are you, it, you're doing the world a disservice if you aren't out there spreading your message, right? Because there's someone just like me out there who needs to hear what I have to say. And there's somebody just like you who absolutely needs to implement email marketing or, or, you know, spend more time with their daughter, or maybe go hang out with their brother, any of the things that you post often about somebody needs to hear that. Right. And so I, uh, yeah, I, I don't know. I get imposter syndrome often. And so seeing you post everywhere, uh, definitely gave me imposter syndrome in the beginning, but I think, you know, you're right. Once I started, uh, you know, engaging in your tweets, uh, I think we DM'd a few times. Uh, certainly their algorithms are good, right? They're just going to keep showing me more and more of Chase Diamond. Yeah, I'm pumped. I'm pumped to, to hear that. Um, and, and sorry, the audio in the background was kind of loud. Um, but no, yeah, I'm pumped to be here. Um, it's kind of a joke with my friends and my family that they're going to probably start unfollowing me on social until I'm done promoting the course. Um, but it's, it's just something that I love to do. And as people get results, it's something that I really like to share. So um, it's it's selfish, but it's also unselfish where people get value and I get value in return and everyone therefore is better off. So it's been, it's been interesting. Well, I've, I've taken your course. Uh... It's good. It's a lot of tactics, right? And I kind of want to dive into that later. I want to talk, obviously, about email. I think it's um, huge in anyone's business. But I, I want to know, I want to know who you are, right? I want to know how you got where you are. I think you're only in your twenties, right? You're a young kid. Yeah. So I turned twenty eight um, in November. So recently, somewhat twenty eight. So it's been interesting. I keep thinking I'm twenty seven, but I'm, I'm twenty eight years old, and it's it's been fun. So um, if if you don't mind, I'll kind of start from the the beginning. Yeah, hundred percent. I'm curious to know who you are, how you got to like, you're, you're a pretty big name in the, in the DTC space at, at 28. That's impressive. So I'd love to know how you got here. Thank you. So for, for me growing up, I'm the oldest of four boys. And you know, when I was 12 or 13 years old, I was playing four sports a year. I was playing soccer, baseball, basketball, and tennis. And then all of a sudden it was like winter. Um, when I was 13, I got pretty sick and I was like, okay, it's probably some flu or it's probably some, some bug, you know, whatever. Went to the doctor, got some you know antibiotics. Great, thought it was going to be better. This ended up going on where I felt sick for for months, and I kept going to different doctors and getting different misdiagnoses. And after about a year of being mistreated, I basically found out that I had Crohn's disease. So basically, from 13 to 14 years old, you know, I missed tons of class. I couldn't play sports. I was really like sleeping and in pain like 14 to 16 hours of the day. Um, really tough, kind of traumatic experience for me. So I found out finally that I was diagnosed with Crohn's disease. And for those that are unfamiliar, Crohn's disease is inflammation of your digestive system. And basically Crohn's plus, you know, um, ulcerative colitis are formed under what's called IBD, which is inflammatory bowel disease. And there's about 1.3 million people in, in the U.S. that are infected by it. So again, kind of small, it's a percentage of the population in the U.S., right? It's less than a percent, but still, right? It's like a million and three, you know, 1.3 million people too many, Right. So as a 14-year-old, after I kind of like finally started feeling better and had some treatment and whatnot, and this is a disease I'll have forever, but once I kind of put a Band-Aid on it, I made it my mission as a 14-year-old, like, how can I help other people at the very least just know about this disease so they could get help sooner and not have to wait a year, right, to get this treatment and whatnot? Um, so myself and my parents and my brothers, my friends, my family, right, we kind of all rallied together. We did a bunch of guerrilla marketing. And at the time, right, I didn't know what guerrilla marketing was. I didn't really have a plan. We were taking out newspaper ads. We were calling our friends, you know, 
we were just telling people at school about it. We were doing fundraisers at restaurants. We were doing these walks, right? So in the beginning, obviously started out really small with me, my friend, my family, right? Maybe 15 or 20 people would come to these events. And then over the course of the years, you know, there'd be hundreds of people that were on my team coming to these walks, right? One friend would come one year and then they'd bring two or three other friends. So it was almost like this referral marketing, this kind of word of mouth thing. Again, had no idea at the time was not my intention of like, oh, I have this strategy for doing X, Y, and Z like we do today. Um, and it just kind of happened organically where over the course of the years, we were able to impact hundreds, if not thousands of people's lives in Orange County through awareness and fundraising. And at 16 years old, after dedicating about two to three years of giving to the organization, um, I became one of the youngest board members at the Crohn's and Clytus Foundation. And today they do about $50 million a year in fundraising, give or take. Um, so I served like a six-year board term there throughout high school and college. And it was really through that experience of, you know, kind of sitting on this board. You know, I by far was like the least qualified person. I just happened to be a, a kid that was hungry to, to help others. But everyone else on the board was like, you know, presidents of banks and presidents of biotech companies. So I really got a lot of mentorship from this board just by being hungry and showing up and helping others. So, so really long-winded, like my journey with marketing really kind of started from a personal need and a want to help others. And it was something I never, ever made money from. So it's kind of interesting. Yeah. I, I oftentimes say I'm dumb on this podcast. So fill me in, right? Like there was a guy we worked with who had Crohn's. We would see him run to the bathroom often, like all day long during work. Um, can you, can you help me fill in? But like, what, what do they do? Right. Is it an autoimmune disorder and so there's not like whole you know not a whole lot of, of things you can do about it certainly there's you know the bulletproof diet uh claims they can help with autoimmune disease but what, what do you do right when you have inflammatory bowel syndrome and and you know you're in pain and, and constantly running to the bathroom what are the solution what is the band-aid what helped you make uh, make you feel better yeah so like some of the, the symptoms of it is yeah like you mentioned like the bathroom you got like stomach pain you don't absorb all of like the nutrients from food, right? You've, there's fatigue, right? There's like a laundry list of things that are associated with this disease. So obviously, inflammation within your body is not a good thing. Um, but for for certain people, yeah, they claim like diet and whatnot has been helpful. Um, a lot of like corn kind of nuts products and, and seeds and stuff are kind of hard for people's bodies. Sometimes like alcohol and red meat, right? There's there's a lot of things that can kind of trigger what, what's called a flare up. Um, and, which basically means you have active symptoms and then other times you're in remission, right? Where your symptoms obviously are, are kind of not elevated. Um, but basically for, for, for me, I have to get an injection, basically a shot every other week, like in my stomach, um, or you can do it like in your thigh or the back of your arm. So I kind of have to switch every time I do it. And I'm on something called a Humeri. You must've probably seen it on all the commercials. It's also for like rheumatoid arthritis and all these other things. Um, but I've been on Humera probably for, I don't know, five or 10 years. So I do that and I have to take, you know, supplements and pills, you know, every, every day. You know, fortunately for me, I haven't had it as bad as some others. Other people have to have like surgeries, you know, they have to get, you know, parts of their colon or, you know, parts of their, their stomach kind of removed, right. And they have to get bags. Like it's a pretty crazy, you know, scary kind of a thing, but you know, knock on what I've been pretty fortunate and some of the people around me have, and some haven't. So it's kind of like a roll of the dice, unfortunately. I mean, yeah, I can't imagine, you know, having to take something to, to lower inflammation. I would assume you got to, you know, adjust your diet and, um, which when you're younger, it's hard anyway, right? You feel invincible when you're younger. So it's, it's easy to eat whatever you want and just feel great. And so, um, I would imagine though, you did a lot of learning on, on nutrition as well. 
Yeah, and, and definitely have more to do. But for me, like I don't drink alcohol because you know that really messes with my system. I don't drink soda. You know, I stay away from certain things. So it's it's been interesting. It's a lot of like trial by fire, right? You try something and you're like, oh man, that didn't really sit right. And again, everyday normal people that don't have Crohn's or colitis or IBD, right, still are affected by food. It's just something that you're a little bit extra sensitive to. Sure, we all have something, right? Like, uh, I appreciate your story. I'm not trying to you know, downplay, but everybody has something, right? And it's easy to not be empathetic to others, especially when you have no idea what you're going through. So I appreciate you kind of uh, describing, you know, some of the, the ups and downs that go with that. And, and certainly at 14, the last thing on your mind is like how food's affecting you, right? Like, I mean, I was thinking about girls at 14 in sports, right? I think that's all most people think about when they're teenagers or boys, at least. Yeah, hundred percent agree. Um, and one thing I said, and the last thing we can kind of move on to another topic is last I don't remember saying it, but my parents told me, again, I'm the oldest of four boys, got three younger brothers, is that I said to my parents, I'm so glad it was me and not my brothers because I'm going to you know, beat this and fight this and kind of do something with it. So that's something that they kind of remind me every so often. And my brothers, um, I don't know if they were old enough to remember, but they also thanked me for saying that as well. So it's kind of been a, an interesting, cool thing. And to your point, um, for me, it's something that affects me on the inside, right? It's not something that if someone met me, they'd ever know. And just like when I meet other people as well, right, they're dealing with their their own things as well that you know you might not see on the surface so the i think the empathy part is really important well talk to me about that board seat because that sounds amazing right being able to be around people that are way smarter than you at such a young age had to be like super impactful on on your journey was it more than just you know going to the meetings was it was there time for you to you know get mentored on the side yeah and, and again like sitting on the board was another thing that i did not knowing like what it actually meant right a lot of these things i've learned in hindsight like now having a daughter, I'm like, oh man, she needs to be involved in nonprofits. She needs to sit on the board, right? Like these are all the things now that I've gone through without strategically thinking about them. Like, oh, I need to push my daughter to go do this or go do that. Um, but for, for, for us, yeah, like we had, a, 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 I think it was in the beginning, it was like a monthly board meeting and then it switched to like, you know, bi-monthly or quarterly. Um, and then throughout that, there were different events in every month or every quarter. There was like a walk, there was like a bocce ball tournament, there was restaurant fundraisers. So there were a lot of opportunities outside just board meetings um, to, to meet with these people. And then depending on like what team you were on, like within there, there'd be like an awareness team, a fundraising team, you know, a team that would go out and pitch sponsorships, right? These subcommittees would also meet kind of on a monthly or a quarterly basis as well. Um, and I've kind of remained friends with a lot of these people where they still send me like their Christmas cards, even though I haven't really kind of talked with them for a while. But one of the ladies that was the board president, her husband, I think, sold a business for close to a billion dollars. Um, it's a company called Trizetto. I think one out of three people that have you know health insurance in the U.S. at one point use their platform. Um, so she was like the board president and her husband, and I kind of met with him on the side just to kind of pick his brain and learn. So it really opened up a lot of doors for me. Um, and also too, like it, it made me realize I didn't want to go into corporate America. All these people were really, really smart, and they were all really legit. But like they would show up to meetings like in suits and ties, and you know they'd be very professional, right? Of all the nice cars, obviously, right? You want the nice cars and the nice watches, but um, just the way that they describe what they did kind of always sound boring to me. Um, but yet they were so smart that like, and, and, and they kind of steered me towards entrepreneurship, which was interesting. What did you go to school for? You said you were, you, you were doing this during college. Yes. Yeah, so I, stood, I went to Chapman University, which is a small private school in Orange County. Um, I was in a fraternity. I played on the college soccer team. You know, I was in all the clubs um, and I studied business marketing and management. And I kind of took a lot of classes around like social enterprises and nonprofits and whatnot. So it was kind of a mix of like some of the nonprofit stuff, but more focused on like the social enterprise because I always wanted to 
run something that was for profit. Um, I think that obviously business model is better than having to always nag people for money, right? If you can create something that actually generates profit and, and is sustainable in and of itself. So that along with business marketing and management and you know, also took a lot of like entrepreneurship classes. No, I, to your point right there, I, I've thought that a lot. Like I, I can't imagine being part of a company that is constantly just asking for money and asking for money and asking for money. And I, it, and I feel like why not go build a, build a business that's for profit and like direct some of your profit to that, right? So you can continue serving one group of people or, or serve the people you're trying to help as well, right? Uh, and help them. And uh, I don't know, what was that like? Right? Obviously, you've shifted to for profit, you run an agency, um, you've got a course now, a couple courses, actually. And so like, w- talk to me about that shift, like working for a nonprofit. And, and like I said, constantly just give us money, give us money, give us money, give us money, like having to ask all the time without doing a lot of giving now to business where you need to give, 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 and then ask, right? Like that's a transition that I can't imagine was very easy. Yeah. And for, for me, because I was on the board and I was kind of active in the community, it was less of like a full-time role that I had like as a job kind of for the nonprofit, but I really was on doing all the things that you would do in a nonprofit anyways, but more as like a young student and kind of as a young person. So I think it was a little bit easier because people like, are like, oh, I can't say no to this kid, right? I hear his story, right? He wants to help. Um, so I think a, a lot of doing that, like, has really informed what I do today around, like, storytelling and, and tying something to, like, a greater purpose, right? Because I, I basically was using my story in the community to help raise awareness and obviously through awareness, help raise fundraising. Um, but yeah, like, I would work closely with the people that were fully employed at the charity. And, like, it was a grind. Like, there is a lot of turnover and there's a lot of churn in nonprofits just because people get, you know, burnt out. Or if people are good, right, they get promoted pretty quickly. So there was a lot of different people um, that I would work with there that kind of changed every year because it'd get selected from another charity because they were good. Right. It's, it's kind of like this weird thing where like, they're so, again, uh, they're not that they're so good people, few people, but like not a ton of people want to go into nonprofit, right. It takes this very special type of person. So the good people really get cherry picked pretty easily. So f- for me, seeing that world as much as I wanted to help, I really had that focus of like, I could help more kind of to the point that you mentioned is if I run a business that's for profit and donate some, or even if I just make a lot of money personally, then I can donate, have a tax write-off, benefit the charity through giving, right? So that was always kind of my goal. My focus was learn the ropes here, give back, help others. And on the other side, right, really double down and try to make money to be able to do more good. It's kind of this, you know, hamster wheel, for lack of a better word. And you said you saw the other board members with their watches and their cars. Look, I'm not a guy who ever got like you know, turned on by those things personally, but I see it in a lot of other entrepreneur friends I have who are like, they, they flaunt their cars and, uh, you know what I mean? I don't know. It doesn't do it for me, but like, uh, obviously it did something for you that you, you thought those things were shiny, but then at the same time you saw them in their suits, um, and, and probably having, you know, calendars just completely filled. Right. Um, and so where, how did the, how did that turn into entrepreneurship for you? Right. Like you saw, you didn't want to follow, like they're entrepreneurs, right? It, but they have the busiest schedules ever uh, and, you know, get to drive their sweet car in between all the meetings they have. But like, how did that shift into a different type of entrepreneurship or how did it shift at all? Like, how did you go from going to school for business and, and sitting on a board to wanting to be an entrepreneur? Yeah. And by the way, I'll preface, I, I have had two cars my whole life. My first car was a 2001 Mustang that my grandpa gave me for my 16th birthday. Um, and the second car I have is a 2002 Lexus LX 470, right? It's like a tank. And I've had that since I was in college that my aunt gave to me. So I, again, a Lexus is a nice car, but it's a 2002, right? So this car is 18, 19 years old. 
Um, so I, I've never bought, you know, a nice car. I really like the idea of a nice car, but I'm also very practical where I probably wouldn't buy one. Um, but just like the idea of that as a young kid, it was like more so like I want to have the money to be able to buy one and whether I buy it or not, the choice is mine, right? But I don't want to not be able to buy it because I can't afford it, right? That's kind of what that did for me too, was like um, all these guys have been able to do it and they want to do it. I want to be able to do it whether I do it or not. That's a different question. Um, but for, for me, um, my dad is very entrepreneurial. Like since I've been born, he's been super entrepreneurial. And then my mom on the other end has been working for the same company since she graduated college. So for almost 30 years, right? So I had like these two really polarizing role models. And I have Crohn's disease, obviously, as mentioned. So my mom's really big point to me was go work for a company so you can get healthcare, right? Healthcare is really expensive. My dad's like, well, you know, if you do well enough with your business, healthcare is really not that big of a deal, right? So I kind of had these really big tugs and pulls. So after college, um, I went to work for an ed tech company. I basically had like an entrepreneurial role there where they literally hired me with the, I didn't have a job title. They literally hired me and said, you're going to come into our company and you're going to build a new division and a new product that's more engaging for students. So this company that I went to at the time was called Study Modes. And then they rebranded the student brands. And then they got acquired by Barnes & Noble for like 60 million. Basically what they had when I went in was a database of essays, term papers, and AP book notes. So they had about 1.5 million documents. People would pay a subscription. But the issue was is people would come once a year, once every couple of years when they're writing you know, the final paper of the year, uh, they'd pay $30 and then never come back, right? So there was a lot of churn. They wanted someone to come in and build a product that was a lot more engaging. Can we get someone to engage the product on a daily, weekly, or monthly basis? So I kind of came in with literally that context. And within the first month or two, I came up with this concept of connecting students on college campuses to other in their classroom to make learning more collaborative. And this was a really sticky product. It was a free platform that we used to drive leads to the subscription business. So we were able to kind of scale this quickly. And through that experience of like literally coming in and having resources and being able to build what I wanted and how I wanted it really kind of opened the door of like, you know, being able to create something of my own in the future. I felt a lot of pride and a lot of ownership of this thing that I didn't actually own. Um, And then from there, you know, I went to go work for a YouTube competitor as a consultant, got burnt out of working um, and commuting from LA to Orange County. It's an hour and a half each way. So I was burning three hours of my day every single day and it just got burnt out. Uh, from there, I kind of was just like, all right, I need to work in Orange County. I applied a couple of jobs. No one really wanted to work with me because I had spent one year at a company and then six months consulting. Like I was not really great looking on paper in terms of that. So it kind of forced me to, to start building my own things. And, and that was probably the best thing that could have ever happened. The fact that no one wanted to hire me because my resume looked like shit um, was probably the best thing in hindsight that ever happened to me. And from there, I was kind of forced to start building my own products if I wanted to make money. What was the YouTube competitor? I don't, I don't remember anybody ever trying to unseat, you know, the god of, of video, you know, all, almighty Google. Or was it even Google back then? Uh, they, they were small. They were called uh, VidMe. Uh, they were getting about 30 million monthly uniques, and we had raised like $10 million. So when I say YouTube competitor, I guess it's pretty loosely competitive, right? Obviously, Google and YouTube is massive. Um, but we thought what we were doing at the time was pretty significant. So we called ourselves aspirationally a YouTube competitor. What was the goal of that company? Just out of curiosity. Um, so they they basically had were owned by like a video lab where they created products around video. Vidme happened to be the first one. It really took off like within like the Reddit community. And I think in the early days, it really was more focused like on the adult stuff where YouTube wouldn't go. Um, and then it kind of tried to platform change to like being more compliant so that way. It would compete with Google. Um, 
after I left that, I, I want to say they sold to Giphy for, for, I don't know how much money, but they, they ended up getting acquired by Giphy or however you pronounce the name, but I think they ended up getting acquired by um, Facebook. I love how no one really knows. Like my friend Gary thinks it's Giphy. My friend George says it's Giphy. I'm not sure, but uh, yeah, no one. I, I think I gave my friend Leanna Patch the the same spiel when she was on uh, the podcast, like episode 19 or something. Yeah. Nobody really knows. That's funny. Um, but that's so. How were you hired as a consultant? Like that that one is a little confusing. You had one year of experience at a company right out of school, building something, and then a company was happy to pay you consulting fees to come in and and direct them. Yeah. So uh, essentially what happened was when I was at the, the ed tech company, I became really close with a lot of the, the execs there. Like the CEO was my direct boss, all the VPs like became buddies. Um, and one of the VPs there knew I was kind of looking for like the next challenge. Um, so he was close friends with the founders of this uh, VidMe uh, company. And he basically was like, Hey, like, you know, maybe Chase will consult on the side. Maybe Chase will do something. And they were just like, Hey, would you be willing to consult full time instead? So I ended up consulting for them full time um, and whatnot. So I guess technically, like I was an employee, but like it wasn't like a formal thing, and they ended up paying me more than like they paid a lot of their employees. So it was kind of this weird thing. Um, and I, I did it for six months. It was fun. It was a good experience. But again, like I just hated the commute. Like I didn't matter how much money I was making; it wasn't worth it. So then you're you're forced back to Orange County. God forbid you uh, you're <laughs> stuck in Orange County. Then what, man? How does that how does that turn into like? you uh, having to do something on your own there? Yeah. So I ended up, um, the first thing I did is I ended up connecting with an entrepreneur that had done pretty well in the past. And we kind of formed and came together to build this travel series called the Discover. So we ended up scaling this platform from like zero to 500,000 subscribers in 10 months, largely through like cold email and kind of non-paid tactics. Um, So we built that, right? That was kind of something that like, I had a lot of autonomy. It was kind of like something I was building that he was funding. Um, and, and whatnot. So I had done that for 10 months. That was a great experience. And then again, like a lot of people, and I, I started talking about that and very vocal about that on social. And from there, I started having a lot of opportunities to start consulting again for other people. Like, I, I don't even know how, like, why people wanted me. I was like 22, 23 years old. I had like, at that point, maybe two, two and a half years of experience. I started getting other consulting gigs. And I started making a lot more money from this side stuff than I was at this full-time thing. Um, that I kind of started like a mini agency from there. And then I ended up joining another agency with a couple guys. And then like, so basically I've been doing agencies and like side kind of companies ever since. So what were you, what were you consulting on? Like, I can imagine you being vocal, right? This obviously ties into later in the story where you're very vocal now and it's working for you again, right? And so what were you super vocal about that you were doing in that 10 months? Just the cold emailing or, or growing the list or... Uh, yeah, exactly. give me some, give me some thoughts on this uh, as far as what were you tweeting seven times a day about back then? <laughs> so, uh, with the travel series we built, um, the largest channel that we had was cold email. So we basically went to Instagram and we essentially aggregated or scraped data from Instagram based off people that were posting with hashtag travel, people that might follow Nat Geo, people that would geotag locations like Bali, Indonesia. We basically were pulling people's interests from Instagram based off of travel ind- indicators um, and we ended up with like a list of like five to 10 million people. These people had their email in their bio or they had their email in their contact button. And this was back in 2017 where a lot more of these emails were uh, normal people, micro influencers and influencers where today I think the landscape mainly is like influencers and businesses are the ones that have like their email in the contact uh, button or whatnot. Um, so back then we were scraping emails and sending highly personalized cold emails at scale, getting people to join this free 
newsletter in this free community. Um, and no one really had done, you know, in, in this kind of round the world for B2C newsletters, no one really had done like cold email or if they had, they weren't very vocal about it, right? Most people think traditionally about cold email and the B2B aspect. So when I started talking about like, I built a half a million person list in 10 months, larger through cold email. Um, they're just like, wait, what? You did, you did what? So I, so I started helping consult on how people could scale their businesses through, um, you know, blitzing college Facebook groups or blitzing Facebook groups in general, how they could leverage, you know, tools like Instagress or, or uh, Mass Planner and all these, you know, bots. So basically, I started consulting, like, for lack of a better word, on like cold email and audience development through non-paid acquisition. So I started working with like e-commerce brands that wanted to build communities or other newsletters that wanted to scale. We'd implement things like ambassador or referral programs. So that was really the first part of what I was doing. Um, and then my buddy, Nick, who's now one of my business partners, Nick Shackelford, he had been in e-commerce for a couple of years. And he was basically saying like, dude, the stuff that you're doing is so cool and so unique. But at some point or the other, you might be on the wrong side of the law. This was before GDPR and California, all these privacy laws. And I was just like, yeah, you're probably right. But like, what in the world would I do? It's like, come join me in e-commerce, take the stuff that you do and apply it to e-commerce email marketing. And you'll be able to have a lot more longevity. Um, you know, you didn't have to burn domains. You didn't have to like, you know, spam people, right? Or whatever it would be. Um, so I've kind of been now focused on e-commerce email marketing, right? All opt-in email marketing for the past, I'd say about three years. I got to ask, because as a business owner, and I'm sure a lot of people listening, so many cold emails, like especially when you're on the Shopify platform, I don't know where th that data is getting shared, but my God, you get emailed every day um, and they're terrible. They're not personalized. Um, they offer zero value. And so I, I have to ask, because I'm, I'm just such a skeptic of cold email. Yeah. Where does it work? How does it work? And like, how are you making it? Um, so that like some of these might get opened, right? They might have a subject line uh, and a preview text. It's like, uh, you know what? Maybe I'll open this one today. And then you open it and you're so disappointed. So give me some examples of cold email that actually works. Yeah. So for uh, related to this travel series, so when we were aggregating people's data from Instagram, we not only were pulling their email, but we were pulling their username, the hashtags that they posted with, the accounts that they followed, the number of posts that they had, number of followers they had, number of people following. We had all their bio text, right? So you know, if, if I was following you, right, I think we just started following each other right before this, um, I would be able to know like what you're posting and what you care about. Um, and you said you're in Wisconsin, is that correct? So I could, I, so for example, what we do is say, um, your, your hashtag Wisconsin photo is a subject line, right? You know, yo, Ben, um, came across your hashtag Wisconsin photo, um, right? This one here, we could actually hyperlink the photo that you actually posted. Um, we could per personalize that for every single person at scale. Um, and we basically could be like, wanted to let you know that we have, you know, thousands of other people in your area that are on our you know, newsletter, wanted to invite you to join our Facebook group. There's currently 40,000 people in our Facebook group and wanted to invite you to enter into this giveaway, right? Win a free trip to Bali, Indonesia. Hey, join our, week, our weekly newsletter, get access to free editorial content. So we basically would send these really personalized email, leveraging the data that we knew about you, your hashtag photo, um, your Wisconsin photo. Hey, saw that we both follow Nat Geo. Hey, saw that we're both connected with so-and-so, right? We were at scale leveraging this data to make it so personal. And we were hitting like 50 to 60% open rates. We were inboxing. We were not in promotions. We weren't in spam. And we would get like 10 or 15% to click through and 10 to 15% of people to reply, depending on what we were optimizing for. So we were sending, you know, millions of emails that year and driving, you know, hundreds of thousands of clicks and opens.
Yeah, I'm just so curious about it. I, like I said, as a business owner, I get a ton, right? Even on like my personal website, BenConnectNorth.com, I'll get people in the contact form that are like, wouldn't you like to rank higher in Google? We can get you listed. And I'm just like, does this work? I often, often reply to the emails and just say, does this shit work? And then I'll get like a snarky email in response. And I'm like, you must be sending thousands of these a day. Number one, how did it hit my inbox if you're sending a thousand of these a day and they're this terrible? Um, and then, yeah, I've definitely gotten into some like email arguments with, uh, with, uh, people sending cold emails. And then looks like we both follow a uh, cold email wizard on Twitter. Look, Twitter's amazing. I, I don't have a clue who this person is, but they offer a ton of value. And I've almost bought his cold email course just to see what he's doing because I want to know where cold email works. I don't know. I, maybe I've just been spammed too much that I have a, you know, uh, too much distaste for it, I guess. Yeah. A couple of thoughts. Well, first the guy cold email wizard, black hat wizard, um, I've had him actually on like my YouTube channel a couple of times, really funny dude, really nice dude, tons of energy. Um, and he, he's a really great guy. He seems to really know his shit. So, um, yeah, if, if anyone's listening, he's a great follow for cold email content. That's, that's one, but two, um, kind of going back to like how people inbox, I don't know how these spammy people inbox, but for, for us, basically what we use is our stack was uh, GMAS, which basically is a Chrome kind of Gmail um, extension that allows you to take a Google sheet, allows you to personalize it through a mail merge. Um, so we use GMAS plus G Suite, just your Google for work emails. And then we also were using SendGrid SMTP. So Sam, Mary, Tom, and Peter, which is basically like a plug and play server. So we essentially were kind of starting really small and sending really high quality emails that just try to get people to respond. There was no links. Hey, Ben, Sally Sheeran, and Wisconsin. Um, are you interested in joining you know, our Facebook group? If so, let me know and I'll shoot you the link. Oh yeah, I'd love to check out your Facebook group. Send me the link, right? You responded to me, so we seem real. We'd send you the link. You'd click on the link, right? It'd be this fantastic transaction in, in Google's eyes. So we really started small and we had dozens and dozens of these accounts. So we were sending, I don't know, five to 10,000 emails a day. And that would be across 10 or 15 accounts. So Gmail has limits where they'll, they'll rate block you depending on you know, how long you've been around or not. With a regular Gmail account, you could send a max of 500 emails per day if you're fully warmed up. With a G Suite account, if you're fully warmed up and kind of compliant in Google's eyes, you can send upwards to about 2,000 emails a day from a G Suite account. So we always stayed way below these kind of quotas or these rates. And we had a lot of different accounts that were sending highly personalized emails. So when we first rolled out these 10 counts, let's say, we'd send five emails a day and we'd send 10 emails a day and then 20 emails a day. It essentially got to the point where we were sending them about 500 you know, to 1,000 emails a day for each of these accounts over time. And over the course of a month, right, that was hundreds of thousands of emails. So that's how we personally got around it. Um, one example for you on how, how I've done it on the B2B side, um, this was back in, I want to say, April of 2019. Um, base, or Sorry, not Facebook. TechCrunch had an article basically announcing the breakup of MailChimp and Shopify. And basically what we had done is we had found a tool that pulled the technographics of people that were on MailChimp and Shopify. And we sent highly personalized emails. Hey, Ben, so that you're using MailChimp and Shopify. Not sure if you saw this article on TechCrunch, but we wanted to let you know that these two platforms are breaking up. This is what it means for your business. By the way, you know my name's Chase and I do email marketing. I'm a huge fan of this platform called Klaviyo. Clavio, again, another word that I don't know how to pronounce. Um, wanted to let you know that if, if we can migrate you for free, if you're willing to give us a chance to take on your business. So we basically took this current event, helped educate people about what was happening, let them know we'd migrate them for free um, if they were willing to give us a chance. So we ended up picking up like 10 or 15 clients back in April of 2019 from this one tactic alone. 
man, I wish I knew we were going here because I would have queued up you know, 20, 30 emails from my inbox to just read them out loud because they're so bad, right? Like you're at least offering some sort of value, uh, you know, trying to connect in some way. They're so bad. I'm sure I'm positive that there's plenty of people listening who are like, oh yeah, I know what he's, emails he's talking about, right? Because just when you're on the Shopify platform alone or, or really any business, you just get peppered with cold emails. And uh, I would say 99.9% of them are just trash. So uh, good to know there's people out there who are actually trying to give value. But, uh, you know, Back into your story, kudos to Nick, right? Like by saying this isn't going to last, right? You were clearly doing some things that were, we'll call them gray, um, and 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 things were coming down the pipeline that were going to, you know, really really hamper these efforts. Like, but I but I I would assume Nick saw what I'm hearing, which is like scrappiness, right? Like you have clearly have that hustle that some people just don't have. And when you have that hustle, you're going to make shit work no matter what. Like there's no there's no going back to you know a job or or, or anything that you don't want to do anymore. Once you have whatever that, I don't know what that, that trade is. I'm going to call it hustle, but, um, scrappiness, right? There's, there's something about this, this guerrilla style marketing, as you said before, that, um, you're going to, you're going to make it like, you're going to get yours. Yeah. And that's really been ingrained with me since going back to the Crohn's thing, right? Like I didn't know what I was doing. I didn't know how to do it, but I was determined to figure it out. And to your point, like I got, I hustled, I made a lot of mistakes, you know, I did a lot of learnings, I learned from a lot of smarter people. And I think that's really been the key to my success is the fact that like, you know, I've been called out so many times on the internet for messing up or doing that or the other, like I've been put on blast a bunch of times and it's like, all right, that stings for like a day or two, but let's get back to it. Right. Like we're clearly doing something if people are talking about it. Um, so, and, and also too, I think before the conversation, you know, you and I were talking about how I literally only talk about very few things. I talk about my love for email marketing, my daughter my, and my brothers, right? Like playing basketball with my brothers. Um, so for me, I've always had like tunnel vision and laser focus on whatever one thing is that I'm all into. So as soon as I made that transition from cold email to opt-in email, I had a lot of the foundation in the base and arguably cold email, the way I was doing it was harder. So learning something that was a lot more, I don't want to say cookie cutter, but it was a lot more refined where like, if you do A, you get B, right? If you do B, you get C. Or with the other cold email stuff, it's like, if you do A, A might equal B sometimes, other times it equals Z, right? Like it was, there were so many different things. And that was actually what made it hard was with the cold email and audience building side, it was really hard to find other people that were willing to hustle and willing to try these things because it was something that you really had to like get your elbows dirty in. And it was not something that was easy to follow along with. So to your point, I think Nick saw these things and knew the fact that like when I commit to something, I'm obsessed. Like I'm weirdly obsessed with e-commerce email marketing now to the point where like maybe I should go see someone. Right. Um, so I love it. And I see, a, I see 2021 being a massive year for email in particular with all the volatility of Facebook and Instagram and all those types of things. Um, so I'm excited to see what, the, what 2021 looks like. Well, what does that shift look like for you from going, you know, scrappiness and scraping uh, and sending cold emails to, you know, Nick coming along and saying, Hey, let's do this for e-commerce. What, what, what does that shift look like? Cause um, before I talked to you, I watched a, a a big chunk of your course this morning, just on my morning walk on my treadmill. Um, and my note was, holy, this is like, so what, um, how, right. So, um, Amy Porterfield, somebody I, I enjoy listening to, she always talks about her podcast is the what and the why, and then you go buy her course for the how, and your course was just how tactic, tactic, do this, do that. You know what I mean? And there was no like what and why there was no context to like, it was like two examples of here's how an email should look. And then it was like, set up this trigger, do that. You know what I mean? It was very, very tactic focused. And now I'm hearing it, right. You're, you're wanting to see result, uh, B coming from action a right. Uh, and so like, w where was that transition from 
from scraping into e-commerce, which is like, honestly, just if you just do the work, um, that's step one. And, and it, usually that's the step most people don't even take in the first place. Yeah, I think to that point, like with, with the course and with everything I've done, it, it, it's just a matter of doing it right. Like email and the course itself, it's not rocket science. And I think someone had mentioned like the stuff in the course is not rocket science. But however, if you do the things I teach you, you're going to be successful, right? And it's just a matter of saying, I'm going to learn and I'm going to implement, right? So for, for me, the way I got started initially too um, was through a course. I, I took a course um, and I basically took on a few free clients, essentially. You know, they're paying me pennies on the dollar just to learn, right? The course gave, gave me some of the knowledge and the understanding to be like, okay, like this is how I navigate a system and these are some of the things I should be thinking about. And then the actual diving in was how I actually learned. Um, again, had no clue what I was doing, signed a few small accounts. Um, they had enough data for me to work with to really understand it. Um, and it probably took me about three to six months to feel pretty comfortable um, with knowing what I was doing. And then, you know, from six months to three years where I'm at now, it was just like, a massive acceleration. And my goal with the course was to build something that allowed people to get off the ground and have a playbook just to be like, hey, just this is the strategy, right? This is the playbook you need to follow. Now go do it. And here's how to do it. Right. So to your point, like the course has no fluff. I'm not going into too many things. Just do it. Right. No, and I want to I want to dive into that course a little bit, but uh when you started working uh on people's businesses you just said you did it for pennies on the dollar so help me understand that transition with nick because now you guys are business partners right that must have been one amazing transition for you to for you to build that relationship with nick so much so that you guys became business partners how did you go from scraping emails to like you said you took a course what's the first few steps there right like i I think there's a lot of people who don't understand that productized services could be their business right like literally they could take your course and go start a business tomorrow this is so needed in the e-commerce universe how did that begin for you of of just like going in and working for for you know less than you probably deserve to be paid uh and and learning yeah so okay so nick introduced me to e-commerce i took a course uh, i had a few people in the network and it's like yo i have no idea what i'm doing in e-commerce email marketing however you guys all know what i've done in the past with other email related things give me a chance, you know, I'll charge you 250 bucks, 500 bucks a month, like whatever it is, right? Um, let's, let's give it a shot. It'll be month to month, no harm, no foul. You know, if I break something, I'll fix it. Um, let, let's just do this, right? So I, I took on like two or three kind of friends slash people in my network that I knew through mutual people. And I just, I figured it out. I learned with them, but I was super transparent. They're like, hey, I have no idea what I'm doing. I'm taking this course. We'll see what happens type of thing. Um, and then I ended up having a partner kind of join me on this. So me and my partner ended up being like, okay, like, I think we could do this. Like you do, you know, some of the execution, I'll do the strategy. Hey, you do the design, I'll do the copyright. So really finding someone that had a complementary skill set um, to me to figure like, hey, now that we have some idea what we're doing, how do we divvy this up? And so to, to, today, kind of jumping around, you know, on our team, we have five people on every single client. So there's 30 people in our company and there's six people on each email team, or sorry, there's six teams of five people. So each client today gets an email strategist, they get a copywriter, they get a designer, they get an account manager, and they get a developer. But in the early days, I didn't have access to those five people, right? So it was us kind of hacking it together. And then from there, it's like, oh man, our designs really, really suck. That's the first area that we need to go get help with. So we'd hire freelance designers, right? Like from Upwork or other platforms. Hey, can you do these designs? Great. Then when we get into a point where like we're at five or six clients, it's like, we probably need someone full-time. We hired our first full-time person that happened to be a designer. So it's like, great. My, my partner and I, we're great at making money. We're great at strategy. We're great at copy. We've got a really great designer. 
Um, why don't we find someone else to do the copy so we can just focus more on the strategy, right? So that's kind of how we built our team is like we did everything ourselves. We did it probably a very poor, mediocre job in hindsight. We brought on this designer that really elevated us from a look feel. From there, we brought on a copywriter, which again, really elevated us. And then we started really building the team to kind of meet the needs of like what we either were not good at or frankly, the things that we did not want to do. You know, we were doing the reporting ourselves manually and that was painful. We were burning hours a week on the reporting. So we brought in an account manager to do the reporting, right? So it was almost this thing that like, we had no idea what we were doing. We were flying by the seat of our pants. And as we kind of isolated an issue, we would try to find someone really quickly to at least be a bridge on a part-time basis before we found the person that we really wanted to bring on full-time and invest into. So that was kind of the, the journey of like start to kind of hiring the first few employees. Um, you know, this year, I think we went from 10 or 15 people on our email team, maybe even a few less. So now there's 30 people on the email team. And, uh, you know, I've finally been able to remove myself like from the weeds of the business as of about eight months ago. Um, when I had my daughter, that was really kind of the, the final straw of like, Hey, I don't need to be in these accounts anymore. I'm actually in hindsight, you know, I'm the bottleneck, right? We, we, we all, when we're kind of obsessed, like I'm obsessed with process and system and being involved with everything. I didn't realize that I was slowing people down and not allowing people to grow. I wanted people to look at to me as the leader, but instead my new approach now is I want to groom leaders. I don't want to groom followers, right? Twitter, Twitter is for my followers. My team is for the leaders, right? That type of thing. Um, and then with Nick, we had a lot of the same clients that we were working with. Um, we were passing business back and forth to each other. Um, where it just made a lot of sense for us to have top of the funnel and kind of middle to bottom of the funnel under one roof um, and really build that out. So that way going into 2021, we'd have a lot of stability and kind of have like this great retention of clients because we didn't need to work with another media buying team. They didn't need to work with another email team. There'd be one, you know, one centralized call and one centralized bill, billing, right? So that's kind of how the evolution came as we were working on a lot of clients. We had a lot of respect for each other's work and we were like, would it make sense to come together and kind of like really build this into something crazy? So all in, I think our company's at like 50 people, um, including email, social, and creative. And we have about 75 to 80 clients right now at the company. Well, there's a few points in there that really stood out to me. Number one, you just said we didn't have a fucking clue what we were doing. We're just flying by the seat of our pants. And I think that's something I learned along the way when I first started. I just assumed everybody had it figured out, right? I think I think that probably started in childhood when I thought adults had it figured out. Uh, little did I know they have no clue either, right? And so as I got into business, um, I felt like I was flying by the seat. I still do. Like, I, I don't know what I'm doing. Uh, I've had some big exits. Uh, I still have some companies that I want to scale even bigger. Um, I have some big projects in mind, but I, I don't have a clue what I'm doing. I'm just going. Right. And so, um, that was a huge point for me of like anyone listening. If you're just, if, if you're sitting in your head, the, the, the step out of your head into actually learning and growing is action. Like you're going to fail. You're going to fall on your face, but that's awesome. And then the other point was like, uh, you just starting right. And, and saying, I'll, I'll work for, for dirt cheap just to figure this out. I actually, one of my good friends, uh, his name is Ben as well. Um, I've been on his case for a, a couple of years to get started. And he came to me recently and was like, I'll work for, for peanuts for you for six months, uh, just to learn. And so I, I had to hire him. I didn't have a choice at that point. Right. He, he literally came to me with a, a, a dollar figure. I can't say no to. And so I admire that in a lot of people, anyone who's willing to get started and, uh, kind of cool that your whole journey started of like, I'll work, you know, uh, for 250 bucks, which I know that's not your pricing now. So like, um, I'm sure that didn't pay the bills back then either. Right. You just had to get out and learn. Yeah. And, and one other interesting thing, I don't know if you ever feel like this too, but when I look back and reflect on like, oh shit, how did we get here? 
Like I actually couldn't tell you, like, I don't even remember like the things that I, like I intentionally did to get here. And it's just a matter of like every single day, I try to just inch closer to the finish line uh, on the things that I'm working on that like over the period of time, right over three months, six months, a year, five years, right? Like you get to this point where like, wow, this is really cool. It's kind of like for lack of a better way, like when you invest into like a retirement account, right? Like the compound interest of investing early, you know, over the course of time really adds up and stacks up. So for me, I'm like, I have no idea to the point what I'm doing, how I got here, but I'm just focused on just trying. And I think that's been the biggest thing. So I got to ask, like, why agency, right? Why did you decide not to, like you met Nick, um, saw the power of e-commerce. Why did you still want to stick with just email, right? Rather than like, uh, I think a lot of people think when someone has a course, well, if you have a course, why don't you just go do this, right? Or, or I always think the same thing with agencies of like, why do you want to be an agency for 20 different companies when you could do this for your own company at, at a, you know, an, an elite level? So why, why an agency, man? Why did you, why did you shift into the agency model? Yeah, on, on the course, I, and then the agency, on the course, like the part that I take a lot of pride in is the fact that I'm a practitioner, right? I'm a practitioner for course instructor second. On the, on the agency, um, it was something that kind of fell into my lap where I was doing work full-time for companies. Um, again, I couldn't get hired by anyone initially. I had to go out on my own. And then I just started getting clients, right? And you kind of go down this like rabbit hole of like, you keep getting clients when you do a great job and you service clients, right? So it's like, we would keep our three clients that we had. We'd add another five clients. Now we've got eight clients. So our, our churn of clients on the email side was always super low. So it was kind of this thing where it's like, I never had any goals or intentions of building an agency truthfully, but like one thing led to another. And now we're 50 clients in on the email side. It's like, we're kind of in too deep to stop. Right. And we kind of, you know, I have more clients on a wait list for, for 2021 than I even almost have working with me right now. Right. Like it's just this thing where like the acceleration of our business and the people in it want to keep pressing go and kind of keep pushing the gas pedal that we have no reason to stop. And it's really great cash flow. Like it, it really is great cash flow. And it's gonna allows us to see like we have 75 to 80 clients, allows us to see what's working. And in 2021, we actually are building a brand. I, I don't have too much info I can share quite yet, but we are building our own brand to kind of you know practice what we preach. Um, you know, Nick has an events business, you know, they just launched a on-demand kind of design service, kind of like a design pickle. Um, I'm doing the course, I've got the newsletter. So right now we really are now we have the agency kind of as the main thing. We're kind of trying to build the moat around it through all these other things. So the agency was just the the natural evolution of like what happened and what we were doing. And granted, we've only been at it for a few years. Like I've only been having an agency for like two and a half or three years now. So it's kind of still pretty early, it feels like. And it feels like we're just scratching the surface. Um, so that's kind of like why it's like, it's feeling everything else that we plan to do and what we want to do. And the ultimate goal is to build this almost this brand incubator of sorts. So uh, you have it posted everywhere, but how much revenue have you generated and, and for what brands? Can you speak of any brands that you work with and that people can go, you know, sign up for their email list and start looking at some of your work? Yeah. So on the email side, um, since June of 2018, we've done North of $50 million in email revenue. Um, and some of the brands that we have either worked with or currently work with, um, I worked with the, the Chive. They have the e-commerce brand called the Chivery. Really cool brand um, for anyone that's not familiar with them. They sell a lot of like graphic tees and that kind of apparel to like their loyal audience. Um, the Chive has been kind of a one that was really cool to me because I, I grew up as a obviously teenage boy, you know, being a huge fanboy, obviously, of what they built makes sense. Um, so, so the Chive one. Um, there's this brand called Eat Nugs. It's not marijuana. It's the kind of the plant-based chicken nugget alternative. Really, really cool brand. 
Um, we worked with a protein company called Orgain. They're sold almost in every single store. Um, I don't know how big, you know, eight, nine figure business selling protein powder and other things um, called Orgain. Um, you know, we've worked with Poopery. Like we, we've worked with a lot of like really well-known brands and even more like fast growing small brands. I'd say our minimum brand probably does about a million dollars in annual revenue. And most of our brands probably do five to 30 million with some doing like 50 to hundred million in annual revenue in terms of total revenue. Wow. Uh, certainly I've ordered a couple of things you mentioned there. So I'm sure I've seen your emails before. I, uh, Aaron Orendorf uh, from Common Thread Co. posted about the Nugs. Uh, I'm not even a plant-based eater. I just was, he was so impressed with their branding and, and some of their emails as well. Um, I ordered those. I ended up giving it to, to the Ben we just talked about. He's a vegetarian. So I ended up giving those to him. Um, yeah, definitely. I've seen some of your emails. So how, look, I, I appreciate the agency side. I want to talk a, like about the core side. I also have like some selfish ass. Like, how did Founder come about, right? So Eric, I had Eric Bandholtz on here, uh, episode fourteen from Beard Brand. He has a course on Founder, so I picked his brain a little bit about this and off air as well. Uh, and and so, how did Founder come about for you? How did how did you get picked out of the crowd and say, you know, let's get something from from Chase Diamond on here about email marketing? Yeah. So um, Founder obviously is based out of Australia. We at our agency, we have a lot of clients across the globe. We've got a lot of clients like in Europe. Um, and whatnot. So we had a client or two in Australia, actually in, in New Zealand, obviously different than Australia. I, I worked and consulted for one of the largest Instagram automations platforms at, at their peak. They were doing about $3 million a month. Um, they owned some of the biggest, you know, automation sites possible. They got sued from Instagram. So I actually bounced from consulting them. Um, but I worked with them. So like in New Zealand, you know, I started working with a lot of agencies and brands out there. Um, and in Australia, I worked with a couple e-commerce clients on our agency, and they happen to be friends with Greta, who obviously Greta's badass baller entrepreneur has a really incredible course with founder called Start and Scale. And I guess through the grapevines, Greta started finding out about me and the work that we did. Um, so Greta had hit me up to do kind of some consulting and help for her business drop bottle. I built a relationship with that. So through her kind of witnessing my work through her friend's business, that was an eight-figure brand, through me helping her. She just really liked me as a person. You know, I'm definitely not a bullshitter, right? So I shoot it to her straight. I was very transparent. Um, and I always just came from a point of being very helpful. You know, I always went above and beyond for her and everyone else, even though I wouldn't get paid to go above and beyond, right? Like even if the project was done, I would still help her and hop on calls and help her friend hop on calls for free um, just because that's kind of the nature of who I am. And then it happened to be that she was building kind of a, a new course called uh, Ecom Masters, where she basically wanted to help her people that got to six figures scale to seven figures. Um, so there was there was five of us that taught the course. Um, I, I was fortunate enough to be selected on the email side. Nick was fortunate enough to be selected on the Facebook side. Greta taught influencers, and there were two other people that taught about like products, logistics, supply chain. Um, so it just happened to be the fact that she had witnessed my work over you know a year, year and a half, um, and whatnot. That's where I first started seeing you, right? Like before, I think it'd be, even before I saw you on Twitter, I saw your name. Uh, on founder uh, then I started seeing you on Twitter and now I see you everywhere like I said before but so like you created an agency right you're doing great things for the agency you have a course on founder where does it come in where you're like I should create a course right so we were talking before the call about our, our mutual friend AJ Yeager who was also on this podcast as well um, AJ has an idea of creating a course as well right it's so they have an agency uh, helping with data for e-commerce and some people just aren't ready for that level of investment into their business. Right. And so they kind of want to do almost like a, a DIY 
saying, all right, you, you're not ready for our agency. Um, how about you try this like DIY version, right? Go, go do it all yourself. Get started in, in data. Is that the same sort of like thought you had when you created your course of like, let's get people started if they're not quite ready to invest, you know, whatever you charge four or five, $6,000 a month. Yeah. We, we charge typically about five to $7,000 a month. Um, so the course of founder I launched, um, I think it was like, I don't know, the end of 2018, beginning of 2019, I, I might be completely butchering the dates. I, I don't remember. It's, it's probably been like a year, year and a half since that one launched. Maybe it was end of 2019. Um, completely lost track of time. But I, that course was specifically focused on like segmentation and flows. Like so all the automation side of the business. Um, and a lot of the students from that course were like, oh my God, this course is amazing. You've changed the game for my business. Like if you put anything else out with founder, anything else out, like consider me a buyer. So that was that was one thing. Two is on the agency side. Um, both Nick and myself were doing you know an endless amount of consulting, and it just I got so burnt out having the same call with a different brand about the same things. Obviously, they were making a lot of money, right? I think at the peak, I had like ten consulting clients, and that consumed a lot of my time and my bandwidth and my mind share. Um, where essentially it was like, man, if I could have got those ten people on the same call, I could have gotten the same things, right? Because they need to know the same exact flows, the same exact campaigns, the exact same things. I was like. All right, that's another point towards it. And then I, re- I needed to refresh and update my own kind of internal company training manual. So I had these people from Founder that wanted to pay for it. I had all these consulting clients that I wanted to let go, but I didn't want to leave them stranded, right? So I wanted to create some content for them. And then I had these, my team members, I, as we were scaling and growing, that needed new training and wanted more content. So I was just like, all right, I'm going to make my own course. Um, I'm, I'm sure I'll sell a couple copies. Maybe I'll sell five, 10, 15 copies. I don't know. It'll be used for my team. This is going to be a great use of time. So that was really like the inspiration of it. And then the final straw was someone on Twitter had posted, this guy named Shane had posted, hey, like, is anyone doing good e-com email course? Like, it really needs to happen. Someone said, hey, Chase, you should do it. And then tons of people were like, yeah, you should do it. You should, you should do it. So I ended up having like 25 or 30 people on Twitter, like in a day, tell me I should do it. And literally that same day, I wrote out all the lessons I wanted to write. Um, I came up with the outline. And then within six weeks of that, post from start to finish, I I made this course. Yeah. You spoke to my soul right there. Right. So I have consulting clients. Most, most often we work on SEO for e-commerce and I teach the same fucking thing over and over and over again. No offense to any of my clients who are listening, but I've taught this so many times. It's almost, um, it's almost boring for me. Right. Like, um, and oftentimes like that's kind of my zone of genius. Right. And so I, I get even more bored that like people aren't catching on where to me, it seems so fucking easy. Uh, and I'll try to teach it. And they're just like, what? And so, um, man, you spoke to my soul there of like, let just get this out into a course, whatever, you know, free paid, whatever it is, like, just get it out so that I'm not like, and I don't want to say wasting my time. Cause I love helping people. I love seeing the, the transformation that happens in their business when they do the things that I tell them to do. Um, but it's, it, it takes a lot of time, right? Like, uh, I, I dedicate almost my entire Friday to consulting clients and, uh, that's a whole day of the week. I would love to get back right. And, and be able to provide scale. So you really talked to my soul there. And then I'd love to ask on the founder side, are you able to talk about what that relationship looked like? And if you're not, I'm totally going to ask you after the call where I hope you can, you know, maybe not on camera talk about that, but I, I, for my own interest, right. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to build something very similar, but super e-commerce focused. And I'm wondering what that looks like from, from, you know, the founder side offering to you, what does that look like? as far as, you know, compensation and, and time and, and, and any other things that you would love to point out there? I'd, I'd love to know the ins and outs of that relationship. Yeah. I don't know whether I can talk about it or not. So I'll give some details. I won't give specific 
details, but um, essentially with the course that I got, I got, um, so I'm, I'm in Orange County, California. Uh, they have an office in New York. It's a sub office there at their headquarters in Australia. So they paid for me to fly out there. Um, they covered obviously meals, airfare, hotel, et cetera. And then I also got um, a payment upfront for, you know, committing to, to doing it. So for, for me um, on that course, it was, you know, a lump sum payment and it was all expenses paid on this trip and whatnot. Um, with other instructors, um, you know, I don't know what their arrangement was or wasn't, but sometimes they will do, you know, an upfront and also kind of like an ongoing, you know, rev share. Um, again, I can't give specifics on, on that, but yeah. So depending on who you are for, for me, truthfully, and I even told them this, I would have done it for free, right? Like the, the amount of exposure and the amount of kind of ha- using that as like credibility in the launch pad to me is what's worth even more. So, you know, I ended up making a lot of money on the back end, right, from founder students, either buying my new course or buying, you know, working with my agency, right? So for, for me, obviously, right, obviously would love to have had a rev share, but I would have done it all over again without one and without even them paying for me to fly out there, without even paying a lump sum. I would have done it for free um, if, if I knew what I knew now. Let's dive in and talk about uh, the course that, that you have created, right? So uh, I saw you, I actually saw you go through that journey. You were... I don't know if I saw somebody mention you should make it, but I remember you saying, I've decided I'm going to make it. Um, and I was like, ah, right, cool. Dude, some guy I follow on Twitter is going to make an email course. I'll follow along. And then you were done quickly, right? So like, um, you know, after watching through a bunch of it this morning and I, and I watched through uh, when I got it from you, like a, about a month ago, like you you did it pretty bare bones, right? It's all on Loom, I think. I think you use a couple of Google, Google Docs in the background. Um also on Podia, which I don't know much about. Maybe you can uh, dive into what Podia is. Um, but yeah, six weeks, man. That's impressive. Like it inspired me. I'll, I'll tell you during the time I was sitting there uh, and even more so after we've been talking through this call, it seems like we're in a very similar situation that I need to get this SEO garbage, as I'll call it, out of my head. It's it's such an entry point and it's so basic. Your course is, I don't want to call it basic. It's the foundation that everyone needs in their business. If you just do what's in your course, it's going to produce a lot of revenue for your business. It's so, um, it's so foundational. Right. And so, uh, I don't know, watching you, and I know I just asked like nine questions in one there, but like watching you do it in six weeks was very inspirational knowing that I have the same thing in a different area of expertise that I need to get out of my head. And so can you talk through like how, how you did that in six weeks? Right. And then like, you know, what is Podia? Let's talk, I don't know. Let's just dive into your course. I, I'm impressed with it. So with, with the, the course, I actually, had idea to do a course that was more advanced. I figured a lot more people wanted, you know, more advanced things. And then I realized more people really did need kind of foundation, the entry point. Um, and it's kind of cool. Some guy on Twitter DM me today saying literally for one of his clients, he took him from 5k a month to 40k a month in email revenue from my course. And he, he's only had it for like, I think a few weeks. So it's pretty cool to see the transformation. But for, for me, the fact that I had done the founder course previously, I knew already on the, on the automation kind of the flow side, like what I would dive into there. And there's been since kind of the year, year and a half that I filmed that course, however long ago it was, there's been kind of some new flows that I came up with, like a site abandonment flow. That's not one that anyone's really ever talked about or done. That's kind of one that we started doing about six months ago. Um, I started kind of coming up with some really cool ideas on like the back and stock. So I had kind of like the foundation, the base on the flow side of what, of what I wanted to do. Obviously, I made completely new content from the founder, a bunch of new examples, probably a lot better looking examples since our design chops have gotten better obviously since then. Um, so that was one side of the house. So I just started writing down everything there. Um, the other side, right, is like the campaigns. I just kind of literally went through our project management system. We use Notion and we're obviously a huge fan of Notion. Um, 
and just looked at like, what are the campaigns that we send and, and kind of how can I bucket these into overarching um, topics? And then also too, um, this year, Nick has a events company I mentioned called Geek Out. I spoke at two in-person Geek Outs where I gave like a half hour to an hour presentation. Um, and I've done a lot of like online summits. So I also had like a bunch of decks made that I had to like kind of tailor and position for this. So I had a lot of the content either living in a Google Doc somewhere from consulting calls or living in an old training. So I, I kind of within 24 to 48 hours really quickly came up with this outline. And then as I started filming, like, oh man, well, this would be cool. Or, oh, that would be cool. So for example, I came up with like the browse abandonment flow for one of the ideas or the abandoned cart for one of the ideas. And then I realized like there's really no good videos or documentation. Like how do you actually do it? Like how do you actually set it up, right? Because you have to take a custom snippet of, of code and upload it onto your product liquid you know, page um, to enable some of these things within Shopify and Klaviyo. So I, I wanted to make a video on that, which were not things I originally had thought of. Um, so I kind of just started building as I went. And I think the best thing that I had done um, for at least me personally with getting sales and building trust and getting buy-in was building in public. So I was very vocal, obviously, on Twitter about, hey, I'm starting it today. Hey, guys, I just filmed the first lesson. It's a video lesson on segmentation. Hey, guys, I'm now five videos in. Segmentation, how to set up your account, this campaign, the flow, right? So every day, every couple of days, I would give people updates and I would share screenshots and I was very transparent into what I was doing. Hey, guys, what did I miss? Oh, shoot, I didn't even think about that, right? So I really... Uh, authentically and obviously, obviously selfishly was getting people to buy in um, through their ideas and their commitment through sharing because I knew it would benefit me and it ultimately would benefit them, right? So that's really how I went from kind of idea or wanting to do this, committing to doing this, the six weeks. You know, I hit up a couple of clients, uh, asked, hey, can I get permission? So one of these guys gave me permission to share a lot of his content. That saved me having to go make a bunch of examples that were kind of like made up or fake. Um, you know, I was pulling in examples from previous clients or existing clients. So I had a lot of the things ready. It was just compiling it and filming. And I also took a poll on Twitter. Would you prefer the content and kind of the filming to be really raw, but the content to be really good? Or would you prefer the content to be pretty good and me to spend all this money on editing and it's going to delay the time? And I think I had like 80% of the people say, I would rather get access to this course sooner and rather content be good than it to be professionally done, right? The course of founder was beautifully done and beautifully executed and the content was really good with this to your point, right? Like I was doing it in loom, just doing screen shares and recording, um, very minimal editing, but it's, it's literally was meant to be an over the shoulder look. Like I literally been like, you're in my room looking at my computer. That's how I envisioned it. And that's kind of how it's been interpreted and it's been helpful. That's the first piece. Have you ever read the book launched by Jeff Walker? Cause you're like, you're executing step-by-step his whole method there. No, I haven't. It's basically, you kind of know where you're going with it, but you interact with your audience, right? And make them feel like they're making choices and they're deciding where the course goes. And by the end of it, they've bought in so much because it's their choice uh, that of course they're going to buy the course, right? And so, uh, yeah, you executed a Jeff Walker's method without even knowing who he was. That's amazing. Yeah. And, and I didn't even know what I was doing, right? Like I was just like, I'm just going to be, I'm just very transparent. I'm very open. I like to share everything. So I was just following that playbook. Um, and then to answer the, the podium question, I had no idea what I was doing, right? People were recommending Podia, Kajabi, this, that, and the other. And I went on and I just got a really good feeling from Podia about like how intuitive and clean it was and it wasn't. Um, so I, I just made a free trial with them or got a cheap account and it started uploading things. I just really liked how easy it was to do. Cause again, I was, it was just me doing it. I wasn't trying to get any other resources into it. I wanted to do it quickly and, and well. So I've been happy with it. I think the only 
complaint that I had, and again, it's not like a massive complaint, was the fact that like their landing page builder is kind of basic. Like it's not like a a click funnels type thing or another landing builder type thing where you can do a bunch of bells and whistles. It's a little bit more basic and kind of templatized um, and whatnot. I think that's my only cons- my only complaint. Although you probably could, uh, I think actually you can have it direct to another site where you have a lot more control on your WordPress or whatnot. Again, I'm just kind of lazy and it, it got the job done for me. So I just wanted to do it quickly, but I, I've been happy with it. It's been cool. Yeah. I've been, I was curious, right? Uh, I had an old course. Uh, we tried it like, I don't know, some WordPress plugin, uh, some LMS plugin on WordPress. That was a nightmare. Uh, and then again, trying to connect like, you know, click funnels or build some amazing landing page that also worked with buying in. That was hard. And then we went to like Thinkific or, or something like that or Teachable. I think Thinkific. Um, good, but not great. Um, then we tried to reach out to the folks at digital marketer who had built their own LMS that didn't go anywhere. Um, and then, yeah, at that point, I think I left the company, but there's a lot out there. Right. And so I was curious why you chose Podia. I've seen the founder of that on Twitter. He's very open about what he's trying to do. And so I was just curious, I'm starting to see courses pop up there and I was curious why you chose, uh, Podia as your, as your platform. Is the back end pretty simple as far as like, you know, being able to, like you said, build out a nice click funnel page or a WordPress page and just throw their buy button in there or, or, you know, what are the limitations that you've seen on Podia so far? Yeah. Um, again, like my, my whole thesis of everything that I do personally, this isn't how I do it for my agency, but because obviously I've hired better people now and they, they do a great job. But for me, it's like good enough is good enough, right? Like good enough is getting the job done. Like, so for me having a simple landing page, um, was good enough, right? Like I'd rather just launch it and get feedback and it'd be okay than never launch it. Right. A lot of people I think get stuck in having to make it perfect. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. right here. So, um, for, for me, like, again, like while Podia was a little bit limiting on their native landing page builder, it's like, well, initially I'm just going to be sending people there that know me anyway. So they're going to convert if they're going to convert and they're not going to convert if they don't convert, right? Like you're going to, they're going to buy it or you're not either. You want to pay 749 and you believe in me, or you're not going to pay 749 because you can't afford it or you don't believe in me, whatever it is, right? So that was kind of, again, these are the stories that we sell to ourselves. That was a story I told myself and ended up being, you know, more or less, you know, pretty good for me. Um, the only other thing about Podia that I wish that they had that they don't currently have um, is some kind of discovery where I'd love to be able to take some of their traffic that's looking for courses and, and kind of find my course, right? So I, I actually just launched a mini course on Gumroad. I also have it on Podia, but launched it on Gumroad just specifically because I've seen a couple of guys on Twitter make thousands and tens of thousands of dollars a month just through Gumroad discovery, where Gumroad has you know courses by category and they'll show obviously the top producing or the most popular ones. So I kind of wanted just to see how it's gone. And I've only had this new course um, on Gumroad Live for like three weeks. Um, and I've gotten like five to 10 sales from their discovery. Someone was like, wow, I wonder what this is going to stack to when I have more sales and I have more traffic and I have more reviews. But I think aside from the landing page builder, the discovery piece, I think is the only piece that Podia is um, missing. Although they did feature me on one of their examples pages, but I don't think it's driven any, any revenue and there's no way to attribute it. So aside from that, I'm really happy with the platform and you know I'm going to stick with it. Yeah. I wonder how much discovery even is out there, right? Like just thinking myself, I don't, I don't go to any of the platforms I've ever bought a course on and like look for more courses, right? Because it's such a it's it's a personal thing. If if I don't know who Chase Diamond is, I'm not going to buy from you, right? Like I need to get to know you, which is why 
what you're doing on Twitter while I'm giving you a bunch of shit about it is exactly what you should be doing, right? Like people are getting to know you uh, also on Instagram. I just followed you there today. It looks like you do very similar things over there as well. And so, um, yeah, I wonder how much discovery plays a role. Certainly the gum road. Uh, I'm a huge Twitter fan, right? That's actually one of my notes is to talk to you about Twitter. Um, like money, Twitter is all about the gum road, right? There's, uh, <clears throat> there's a bunch of people who have, uh, uh, courses on gum road and they all kind of affiliate each other. And, um, there's a bunch of people trying to affiliate Gumroad courses too that I don't think are doing a very good job. They're just um, really not providing any value. But um, yeah, and the founder of Gumroad has a great story, so I, I totally understand why it might work over there. But I do wonder. Like, it's funny that you said you've gotten five to ten in the discovery mode. I, I just wonder how well that works. Again, I, maybe it's just me. Maybe it's just my own personal bias that I don't go and and and, and go to a platform like Thinkific or something like that and like look around at courses. Yeah, I. I... I haven't thought about this before, talked about this out loud, but like in in quick kind of analysis. So if you think about like all of like the platforms um, that charge you like on a monthly subscription basis, um, I'm blanking on like Coursera or any of like the big, you know, course platforms, right? Like you pay a subscription, you get unlimited access to their inventory. Masterclass. Yeah, Masterclass. So I think because some of those models, right? Like people have kind of been trained to discover and kind of try different things. Again, it's obviously different if you're paying 20 bucks or 50 bucks a month and you get access to everything or whatever it is versus going to buy a course like mine for 749 for my main course or my mini course that's more advanced is 129. Um, but also I think too, it's a type of user that goes on Gumroad, right? You have a good experience, let's say with, with my course. And then you're like, oh, I wonder what other courses are out there. Let, let's see. I think the fact that they've prioritized discovery into their model um, because they also make money on their discovery. So they make money, I think through transactions and a monthly fee they'll take an extra 10% on any courses that they sell through Gumroad Discovery. So they're incentivized to push traffic to your guys' way. And I do know a couple of buddies, I can't name who, but they're making four or five you know, figures pretty easily a month through Gumroad Discovery. Yeah, I'm trying to think uh, without just scrolling through my Twitter feed, I wouldn't think of any of the big names. The, the 17th Watches guy, um, certainly have seen his courses on there. I'm just trying to scroll as we talk. This will, this will probably go over well. Yeah, CJ Johnson, right? Uh, uh, he's got a bunch of courses on there that I like he's, I think he's one of the biggest sellers on Gumroad. Uh, there's a few others that that fight with each other over their options courses. I've certainly seen some options courses on there. Uh, some of them, they have their own little Twitter wars, which is hilarious. I don't know. If, you, if you're not a Twitter fan, you should be. Like, number one, I, I love Twitter. I'm a huge fan of the, the DTC community on there. I'm a huge fan of the baseball Twitter. It's, it's, it's very much community focus right whatever you show the algorithm you're interested in you're going to get more of it right so i'm a, I'm a minnesota twins absolute junkie uh i follow everybody minnesota twins my feed is you know all minnesota twins during the season and it's all dtc outside of the season and i think that's where i met you right so like uh, money twitter is another example we were just talking about i love twitter can you like give i don't know a couple seconds here of just why twitter is amazing and why people should definitely go join twitter i don't i don't understand how it's not more popular yeah, honestly, before I joined Twitter, I've only been on Twitter since April of this year. I only joined, you know, eight months ago, however long it's been. Um, I was really anti-Twitter for a long time. I thought it was just a place to get trolled. And I thought it was just a place to see the news. And I didn't really think that there was much to it. And then I had uh, two buddies plus Nick recommend like, yo, I think you could probably crush it on Twitter. No one's doing a really great job talking about email. You should get on there. So I got on there. The, those three guys shouted me out. And like within the first 24 hours, I had like a thousand followers. It's like, holy shit, this is fun. And I don't think had it not been for those guys shouting me out and pushing me to do it, I'd be on Twitter. And I don't think if I wasn't on Twitter, I would be on this call today. So it's really interesting how like the dominoes kind of, you know, fall and whatnot. Um, I don't probably think I would have done the course too, if I wasn't on Twitter. And if I had, 
I probably won't have sold as many, right? And I have a I have a weekly newsletter that has almost six thousand subscribers, and a lot of those I'd probably say half those subscribers came from Twitter alone. Um, so it's been really interesting and really impactful and powerful for uh, me personally through my courses, uh, me as a business owner for my agency, and then me again personally as a you know as a person to connect with people like yourself and other people like. I built friendships and relationships, uh, both personal and professional, um, just through Twitter. A lot of really cool guys. Um, a lot of people are following me that I would never have access to otherwise. Uh, the original founder of Zappos, not unfortunately Tony, but the guy's name is Nick. He found me on Twitter. He followed me on Twitter. He sent up my newsletter and he bought my course. Like, you know, the, the, the Zappos exited for a billion dollars and this guy like followed me because of Twitter. You know, and I've had, you know, CEOs of like private equity firms um, and whatnot follow me. And I've had guys literally that this one guy, he owns a company that owns lead pages and a couple others. And he hit me up saying like, you know, what are your thoughts on who I should go buy or invest into on the email marketing side that would plug in well with lead pages, right? Like these guys that I would not have met or known otherwise follow me and like look up to my content. And it's just like, I'm just some 28 year old dude in Orange County. Like, why do you even follow me? Like, it's pretty cool. Yeah, same. Uh, Taylor Holiday was on episode number seven. Um, met him at e-commerce fuel live this year. Uh, COVID happens almost immediately after that, and uh, he starts up a Wednesday night poker group uh, that we kind of talk about in that episode too. We've been playing poker every Wednesday night with a group of guys I would have never met, uh, which led us to have an angel investment in a company called Dibs, Dibs.io, uh, which is fractional ownership of sports cards, which is something else I'm very passionate about. Um, like Twitter's been amazing. I would I wouldn't even know. Taylor or any of the people in our poker group, or uh, he got me on a call with AJ Vaynerchuk, who we now follow each other and uh, and comment on stuff like that. Unbelievable! Uh, what what can happen if you just put yourself out? I love Twitter, so there was our our little uh, promotion for Twitter. Everybody, go buy Twitter uh, or download Twitter on your phone. Uh, start interacting. You won't regret. It, honestly, just go follow some. Go follow me. Go follow Chase. It'll immediately turn you on to DTC Twitter. I think you're gonna love it. But let's talk about the course. We got diverted there again. Um, so learnwithchase.com is the filthy little uh, link I built for you. Learnwithchase.com if you want to check it out. But I love that it's foundational. So this morning I was sitting there and I was like, this is so tactical. It's it's all foundation and and i wasn't sure how to present it but i i think that describes it pretty pretty well so like you have a bunch of sections in here as far as like uh clavio setup which is a nightmare in itself honestly clavio is like so powerful but i don't think anybody knows how to use it and it's it's a little confusing i actually sat with one of their like implementers he was he was high up on their team i sat with him at e-commerce fuel live this last year um and he kept laughing at me like you don't understand how to do this. And I was like, no, I have no clue. What are you talking about? And he was like, he was doing some seriously advanced stuff in there. And I was like, why, why isn't there like a course out there that really like walks you through the foundation, which is what I think you're doing here. Um, you have email collection, core email flows, uh, core email flows that are post-purchase core campaign segmentation, best practices and helpful tips. Like walk me through what's all in this course. Like to the people listening, I would say are mostly uh, a lot of high ticket e-commerce folks. Uh, but e-commerce in general, I think there's a lot of people listening in other industries as well. So like t talk through why this course makes a ton of sense for anyone who's in e-commerce. Yeah. And by the way, e-commerce hundred percent, if you're in B2B or SaaS or something else, probably not the right fit, but if you're an e-commerce brand, an agency or freelancer that works with e-commerce, I think this course is, is awesome to have. Um, Clavio and all the other platforms have great documentation, but it really requires a lot of digging and a lot of self-teaching to find it. This course is going to save you guys a lot of time because it, I basically hold your guys' hand and walk you guys through everything. Um, there's 49 kind of core modules that add up to about four and a half hours of content. 
And I really cover each of the bases of everything you need to do to be successful with email. Um, again, so everything from like email collection, it's so important that you're collecting, you know, close to 10% or more of your traffic into emails. So for every hundred visitors to your website, if you're not collecting, you know, a minimum of 6%, hopefully you're more like eight, 10, 12%, you're leaving a lot of people on the table. A lot of people that could be going through your welcome series for non-buyers, a lot of people that you guys could be sending campaigns to. So I teach you guys how to kind of collect the emails through pop-ups, flyouts, and kind of embedded subscription forms. Then on the flow side, I break it up into pre-purchase and kind of post-purchase. It's really important, you know, to focus on both those steps. You know, pre-purchase includes things like the welcome series for non-buyers, the four abandoned flows. Most people probably only know about like the browse abandonment and the abandoned checkout. Uh, they don't really know about some of the others. Uh, the back in stock, there's a really cool way to do the back in stock that you can drive revenue as soon as people subscribe to the back in stock instead of most people wait until the product is live. Um, and then post-purchase, right? Once someone's purchased from you, it's really important that you take the necessary steps, kind of reduce buyer's remorse and really to build that bond with them. So hopefully they buy again, hopefully they share with their friends, hopefully they leave a good review. Um, and then from there, the other side of the house is the campaigns. So go through 12 different types of campaigns. Most people only really know about sales and holidays and product launches. I go into like free product with purchase and blog and education type content, really geared towards making sure you're sending enough campaigns per week, but not too many. So that way you don't leave money on the table on one side. And that way you're not kind of just spamming people every single day. So I talk about like the cadence and the type of campaigns. Um, and then from there, the importance of segmentation. I think the biggest mistake I see brands making is they just bash and blast their entire list. Sure, it looks great for a few weeks, maybe a few months, but it's not sustainable. You really have to send to people that want to hear from you. Those are the people that have opened your emails, clicked your emails, or kind of recently joined your list or made purchases. Um, so talk about that and then kind of best practices. How do you run A-B test? Um, you know, what's the difference between a time delay of an hour versus four hours? Um, different types of things like that to ensure that you're having the best practices in place. Um, and, and basically, you have a really well-rounded program. So four and a half hours, I think after you guys take it, um, you guys will, if you're an agency or a freelancer, be really confident in selling your service to brands. And if you're a brand, it will help you increase your own, own audience and kind of email revenue. Yeah, I think a lot of people just don't know, even know where to begin, right? They've probably heard you need X, Y, or Z in your business, uh, but you really walk through again, the foundation, like all of these things are something you should have in your business, right? Uh, I'm sure we've all heard have an abandonment flow, but are you setting it up correctly? Are you running the AB tests? Uh, I think what I like most about you again was like just walking through all the Clavio settings. They're confusing as hell when you get in there and you actually want to segment people. Um, and you, uh, one of the videos I watched this morning of you like actually, uh, adding more details to customers so that you can do even more cool things. Like you hear this stuff on podcasts of like running a browse abandonment flow. How do you do that? Right. Uh, I, I don't know. I, I watched your, your course and I was like, this is just total foundation of the email. And I think whether you are somebody who's going to, you know, get started and, and take the chase route and go find some clients for cheap and learn. This is a good start. But like most of the people I speak to on a consulting basis, they're doing some of this, but they're not doing all of it or they're doing none of it. And just getting this done, just doing this amount of work, just this foundation is going to start paying dividends. It's going to get the ball rolling. Um, yeah. I, I don't know. I think it's a no brainer. I wish you would, you would sell it harder. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I after this, I'm going to go start tweeting about it. There you go. I'm going to comment the very first time I see you tweet today. I'm going to, I'm going to, <laughs> I'm going to say something. No, I love it. I, I think it's a, a fantastic course. Actually, I took some notes too. Like, wh where are you going with this? Is there plans to expand on it? Because there's like a few things I 
totally saw uh not that we're missing but like would be great add-ons like such as um you know clavio spf and dkim settings like making sure you actually get delivered to the inbox in the first place uh you know cleaning your list how do you go about cleaning your list why are you cleaning your list who are you pushing out of there what's some open rates you should be going after so that you you know you're going to be hitting the inbox there's a, a, a ton of little technical things that i think would make great additions to this course so where do you plan to go in the future how often do you plan to update this i would assume anybody who buys gets you know lifetime access yeah, so so far since the course was launched, I've uploaded kind of three bonus videos. So again, the, the main course itself is four and a half hours. I've uploaded probably since an, an additional hour and a half or two hours of content. Um, basically, every single month, I kind of crowdsource from people in the course as well as kind of people in the community. Um, like, what are the burning questions that they have that would be helpful? So I've uploaded now two of those videos. I think one was like 45 minutes, the other was like 55 minutes, basically going through one of the most 19 questions, the other was 20 questions. You know, hey, how do you think about charging at, um, if you're an agency? Or hey, how do you vet an agency if you're a brand? Like, what are the things that you should be thinking about? Or hey, I had a question about like, how do you launch product launch emails? Or what are your thoughts on this offer? So basically, I've uploaded two kind of almost hour-long videos answering all these questions that people submit every single month. And then one other video I uploaded recently was a 30-minute presentation that I gave at like a paid uh, kind of summit or conference that you'd have to pay to basically just going through a presentation and a kind of a slide deck. I think it talks for like a half hour uh, and whatnot. So those are kind of the things I've uploaded so far. I do plan to add more of like these kind of monthly questionnaire type things I'm answering where I show examples and really answer people's in the course's questions. Um, people in the course also can leave a comment on each individual video. So I've been answering a lot of those. So those are kind of some of the things I've been prioritizing. I did get a lot of requests from people that finished this course and were like, dude, I'll literally buy anything else you put out. Like what's next? So I made kind of like an add-on, like mini advanced course that was something I wanted to do initially. These guys were just like, hey, I want to buy something else. Like I've already more than got my money worth with this one. You know, what's the next one I could buy? So I did launch like a mini course, you know, for $129 that basically teaches you five things. One is how if people unsubscribe, how you could try to hit them up to, to, to basically get them to convert. And I've been working on this with one brand that has a lot of people unsubscribing and we've made... I think like three or $4,000 like in five weeks from this. And these are people that are dead to you. Um, I do some more stuff around like upselling and cross-selling, um, some cool stuff around like tagging, um, you know, cool things around VIPs. Um, but to your question, like I am planning on adding more things in the main course for people that have already paid for it. I've just been prioritizing like these questions that I can answer on video at one time, as well as kind of responding to questions within each video. But I do plan hopefully to have like maybe a small deliverability section in, in the future. Deliverability, I know a lot about. I might want to bring in someone kind of that knows even more um, because I only talk about the things that I feel like I'm uniquely qualified to. So I, I think there are things on deliverability that I can talk about. Um, and I have made a couple of videos with experts on my YouTube channel for free. And it might not even be a bad idea just to stick those into the course in case people haven't seen them. Yeah. I think another one that just popped in my head is I'll work with a lot of clients who they have a list. They've been, they've had a pop-up up there. They probably have like one email behind it, right? Honoring the discount they put in the pop-up and they've never emailed them since. Right. And so they have these, I don't want to say giant lists, but they have these lists that you can't just go, you know, chuck all into one thing and hope it's going to work. It's not going to work out. Right. You have to warm that list back up. You have to, you know, start with the people who are most engaged and work your way backwards. Uh, and so uh, I think addressing that, like that customer of yours would be beneficial because there's probably uh, just in my own experience. Uh, uh, I think there's a lot of people listening who are in that scenario. They've got a bunch of emails, but they don't even know where to begin. And so um, that would be a cool add on as well. 
Awesome. Yeah, I have a list um, that I'm kind of keeping a tally of. I'll, I'll add those. So I think that's a great point. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, look, I, I think anybody listening to this is a no-brainer. You're going to get your money back um, just on some of these flows. Do you know off the top of the head how many flows you have in there as far as like uh, – I saw you tweet about it as far as like how many flows you have, how many campaigns are in here, uh, just to give somebody an idea. Yeah, so there's 12 different campaign ideas. And again, depending on the size of your list, you, you know, you send a campaign, you make anywhere from a couple hundred dollars. And we have clients that make you know tens of thousands of dollars from these campaigns, right, from, from one cent. So there's 12 campaigns. And then there's 11 flows. So I think there's six flows on the pre-purchase side and there's five flows on the post-purchase side. And each of the flows, I talk about more than one email. Like in the welcome series for non-buyers, I go into four emails. So 11 flows, I don't know, probably covers 20, 30, 40 emails, uh, give or take, that you should be setting up. And the, and the Gumroad course is more advanced. I, I know I looked at it. I actually, I don't own that one. Maybe I should go buy that after this. Um, I've got a bunch of Gumroad courses that I've never taken. Just somebody's hit me at the right moment on Twitter and they're cheap, right? Most people have courses on there that are, you know, 20 bucks, 30 bucks, 50 bucks. Um, often money Twitter guys are running a sale. So I think I've bought some of those option courses I was, you know, poo-pooing on earlier. Um, but just to have them, I, I, I don't know. I'm that guy who, uh, it's much like domains to me. Um, uh, I just buy them and uh, I don't, I don't take all of them. That's for sure. So like what, uh, what specifically are they going to learn in like this, in this, uh, this Gumroad course? I know you talked about the churn one. Yeah. So the, the churn is one. Um, the, another one is using uh, basically signup forms in a way to drive revenue. Most people only use signup forms to actually collect emails. I actually teach you how you guys can drive revenue through forms almost as like mini billboards for lack of a better word. Um, and I've been testing that with one client for the past year and they've done, I think, eleven or twelve thousand. So they're averaging about a thousand dollars a month just from this one form that hits, I don't know, a couple hundred people, you know, a week type of thing. So it's it's done pretty decent. I think it's a couple percent conversion on it. And again, this is just a form for people that hit the website that are in a specific segment that I go through. Um, so that's an easy kind of no brainer. You set that up. You probably don't have to do too much work on that one after. So and a cool unsubscribe thing, a cool way to use forms. Um, I talk about basically leveraging um, custom properties within flows and it show you guys flows that you guys could build. So say someone um, goes to your email and they click on this header category for show me the sale items. We could then start sending them into specific flows on all these sale items. Um, you know, we can drip it to them if they don't buy. Uh, if someone clicks on, I'm interested in, in men's clothing, right? We'll start dripping them men's clothing. So basically leveraging people's data and basically leveraging clicks that they make without them actually knowing that we're doing it. On the back end, we're tracking that and we're serving them content that's very relevant to the things that they care about. That's another. Um, I talk about basically something cool that we're doing with uh, VIPs to kind of make them you know, want to buy more and how to tag them. And then I think the last thing I have is a way that we're kind of cross-selling and upselling uh, that's a little bit unique and different, a little bit earlier than most people think about it. Um, and it's been kind of successful for our clients. I want to like give an example here that I hope people understand. So I often teach remarketing and the whole game, if you will, it's touch points, right? And so your email, everything you're teaching in this foundational course, uh, even sounds like in the expert course, it's, it's just getting more touch points. Right. Um, and so just like you are going to set up a DPA campaign on Facebook or a dynamic retargeting on Google and chase somebody around with the same picture of the, like of the product, definitely do more than that. Please, for, for the love of God, do more than that in your remarketing. But like, that's just having another touch point, just another reminder while they're on the weather app um, where they see your product and they're like, oh yeah, I was looking at that earlier today. Like just, just another touch point, another way for you to um, step back into their life. And in, the, in these emails, you should be giving value, right? I, I think I talked with uh, George Bryan a couple episodes ago where we really talked about, uh, 
you know, loving the shit out of your customer uh, and giving value and 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 solving their problems, whether they buy from you or not. Uh, that's the that's the what and the why. So I, I did have a question for you on that, right? So on the touch points, I love it, but you're teaching foundation, you're teaching how, right? And so where where is a good place for somebody to go learn the what and the why? Uh, how to, how to give value to their customer? How to speak to their person? How to make an offer, right? That that's half the battle too. That's a good that's a good question. So. I don't necessarily know like a course or a resource. I think my best, I guess it depends on if you're a brand or an agency. I think my best advice and my recommendation would be a couple of things. One is if you're uh, an agency or a freelancer, let's say, and you're working with a brand, you know, you, you need to work with the brand to understand like, what are their margins, right? Like what are their margins across the board? What are their margins on, you know, specific products? How much are they willing to discount, right? And that will help you construct, let's say the right offer. You know, if someone has really thin margins, you probably don't want to be discounting pretty heavily if you don't have to, right? Outside of Black Friday and Cyber Monday, you probably want to focus more on value proposition, like what this product could do for them versus, hey, buy my product because it's 20, 20% off, right? So I think in terms of, you know, an agency working with a brand, and even brands themselves, like you really have to understand your numbers and then you have to understand the levers that you can pull to kind of get someone to buy. Um, you know, this, this item's selling fast, limited edition, right? You're playing on kind of like the scarcity thing, right? So I think a lot of what we do in marketing within email and within marketing in general just goes back to basic principles of psychology, right? Uh, limited quantity, scarcity, urgency, you know, discount, time expiring, right? Using countdown timers. That's actually one other thing in a main course I have is like how to install a countdown timer, right? Because you want to let people know when a sale starts or kind of when a sale ends. Um, so I, I, I don't, I wish I had a better like place to send someone that would teach them these things. Um, but I think just understanding like what makes people take what makes people buy, what makes people you know, feel a certain type of way. I think the, the other thing I would mention is subscribing to some of these really well-known brands, um, you know, whether they're my clients, whether they're other clients, or they're just aspirational brands that you like, you know, sign up to these people's newsletters, um, you know, try to find their ads on social, right? Buy their products, see what they send you post-purchase. I think those are some of the best, sign up for your competitors, right? Like those are some of the best things to do because like, for example, you know, with our 50 clients, like We've already paved and done the hard work. Like all you need to do is sign up for one of our clients and you'll see a lot of these different touch points and you'll have to then, you know, understand like why we're sending you what we're sending you. So I think if people just spend a little bit of time trying to deconstruct, like, Hmm, I wonder why they sent this. Um, I think that probably would be helpful. Hopefully that makes sense. Yeah. I think a lot of it for me comes down to the who. If you don't even know who you're talking to, you have no idea what to put in these emails. So I do have a couple resources. Uh, one was an episode I did. I put it out over Thanksgiving. It's the reason I didn't put out any episodes over Christmas is because it got no love. It was an awesome episode. Uh, it's with Nick Coates of Sawtooth Media Group, episode 23. So if you want to go listen to that, Nick gives uh, uh, some amazing advice. I've gotten good feedback from the people that did listen to it. Go check that out. And then episode 24 with George Bryant. Um, dive deep into how to love your customer, how to uh, solve their problems, whether they buy from you or not. And they're probably going to end up buying from you. I think you're going to like both of those. So episode 23, episode 24 of my podcast, you're going to love it. If you can pair that information with the actual how, uh, like build the foundation that you're going to get at learnwithchase.com if you buy his course uh, or anywhere else, just get the work done. Just do the work. Uh, I think it's going to uh, you know, really provide value in your business. It's going to grow your business. No question. You're going to get your money back from any course you buy uh, on that stuff. I do have one more question for you, buddy. Uh, and this is personal for me. I've been wanting to help um, friends and brothers get going uh, forever. Uh, and you can't make somebody like it's the same as like um, 
you know, somebody coming up behind me, uh, you know, I'm a bigger dude and, and going, hey, hey, what are you doing, man? Why don't you why don't you have a six pack? Right. Uh, I can't make somebody want to start. And so I've seen you post about your brothers. I think one of them's painting your house right now, which is pretty cool. Um, did they have their own like wanting to get started before you help them? Uh, or did did you you know kind of push them along? Because I think anyone listening to this who's an entrepreneur who has experienced any freedom whatsoever, they just want to go grab everyone they know and be like, there's there's a whole new world here um, that you don't have to wake up every day and be like, fuck, I got to work today or, or, you know, thank God it's Friday or any of that stupid shit that we hear. Like, I, I don't want to do that anymore. And I don't think anybody who's an entrepreneur ever wants anyone else to experience that either. And so how did how did you get started with your brothers? How did how did you help them, you know, get, find their way out? Yeah, so I have uh, three younger brothers. We're all like two, two and a half years apart. Um, two of my three brothers have been like kind of along the ride with me um, almost since the beginning. So. Um, at my first job, uh, the one I built that edtech platform, I offered all three of my brothers, you know, a paid internship. I was paying them, I think it was like twenty or twenty-five dollars an hour, mind you. I, I, at this time, I probably was twenty-one. One of my brothers was nineteen, seventeen, and fifteen. Right, like to be able to work from their computer and make like twenty, twenty-five bucks an hour, helping kind of grill and market this platform. The younger two of the three took advantage of this, and they had so much fun, like being able to work from their house and have like money for beer or food or whatever it was. My other brother. Um, he wasn't good with computers. He didn't really care about online. Like he always saw himself being like, you know, a salesperson, you know, doing something in person or some kind of like physical therapy kind of coach. So he had opted out. So my two or three, two of my three brothers have been kind of with me since 2015, just basically working for me on any company I had that I would pay them for. So I think they've had three or four jobs with me. And then recently one of my brothers graduated college and I was like, dude, like as much as I'd love to hire you, I think you'll make way more money if you do the same thing that I do before yourself. And I promise I'll help you get clients. So my brothers, I don't know, 22 or 23 graduated college like six months ago. Um, now has like four or five of his own clients, you know, was making, you know, low five figures a month kind of over the past six months. Um, and, and he'll do, you know, north of a hundred thousand dollars, you know, pretty quickly. And he gets to work from his house, right? So he's been really motivated since the fact that I got to him before he even had to start thinking about it and, and showed him the way and got him the opportunity. My other brother, he um, is 21 right now. He's a junior or senior in college. Uh, he recently got into e-commerce recruiting because I taught him how to help me recruit my agency. And he started loving helping people find jobs. But now he's doing e-commerce recruiting and he's starting to make like five figures a month you know, in college, right? So they're both so addicted to it. And I think they've seen the things that it's, you know, afforded me to do, but by no means was I poor growing up, but I definitely did not have a lot. Um, you know, my parents, neither of them own their houses right now. Like, you know, so, so they saw kind of like how we were raised and grew up versus kind of how I've gotten to right now. And I think they're just very motivated because when you don't come from, you know, excess, you, you really have to work for everything you, you, you got. Um, so I think that also really kind of tugs at like their heartstring and kind of tugs and makes them want to work harder because no one's going to give them anything. Um, and then my other brother, He's 26. It kind of took him longer. You know, he went to like six or seven different colleges, right? It took him six or seven years to graduate. He finally told me, you know, hey, I'm going to start a painting company. I want to do this. I want to be outdoors. I want to do something. Like, if you're serious about this and you can find a few guys, I'll be your first customer. So, uh, since this past Thursday, it's been about four or five days. He's been in my house every single day on time. He and his crew have been out here painting my house. It looks fantastic. You know, I bought him lunch every single day and kind of spent lunch talking to him and his buddies about like, and what they should be focused on and what they should be doing. You know, I told them to make a sign to put it in my front yard. My wife is in the neighborhood kind of group text where there's 30 women. 
guarantee someone's going to ask for a painter in the next few weeks, few, few months. So I'm really excited now that he's finally come around to like wanting to be helped um, because I would help him at a heartbeat. I have. That's awesome. I, I, I think it's just getting that the beginning started, right? Like I think a lot of people, they don't know what they don't know. And, and a job feels safe. Um, certainly it, it, it is a good feeling to go home Friday at five and you don't have to worry about shit where like, I can't turn it off. I don't know why anybody would want to. I enjoy it. I'll, you know, I'll take a break and go play call of duty, but in between dropping into war zone, I'm on my phone, Googling something or, or, uh, or watching YouTube video or on Twitter, right? Like I'm always learning. I, I always want the buck to stop with me. I want to know that whether I'm winning or whether I'm losing, it's, it's all on me. I, uh, and I don't think you can teach that. I don't think that's something, uh, people become, I think you're either born with that or you're not. And, um, and so I don't know, I, I I've loved what I've seen you do with your brothers and, um, Josh, I know you're probably listening to this. I want to do that for you. Um, but you see, you see strengths in other people, right? It's not always the same thing you're good at. Like I'm, I'm, I'm decent at e-commerce. I'm good at SEO and AdWords. Um, my brother is an absolute sports junkie. And so I've, I've had no joke. I have a MacBook and a blue Yeti in my office here, just waiting for the day he's ready to jump on there. Cause he tweets, a hundred times a day about sports. No joke. Um, and it like, he's, he's a genius when it comes to that. I'd love to just get him talking, just get him on the microphone, uh, and just record it. Right. Like he, there's nothing else he needs to do. Just, just go talk every day into a microphone rather than type it into Twitter or do both. Um, and so I admire what I've seen you do for your brothers and, and, uh, man, I, I want to be able to figure that out, uh, to help more than my brother. There's plenty of people in my, in my little circle that, uh, um, I just, I want to have that same, freedom that I I've come to know over the last five, six years. And then even beyond friends, uh, you know, I try to do the same thing in my consulting and e-commerce has changed my life. Uh, just finding freedom through entrepreneurship and, and getting really good at a skill that a lot of people aren't good at is, has been life-changing for me. Yeah, dude, that's awesome. I hope your brother comes around. If you're listening to this, you've got to do it. It's <laughs> the coolest thing for me, um, with my brothers and you know friends and whoever, like their successes feel like my own, right? And I have a lot of pride in like, not only the fact that I'm doing well, but that they're doing well. And sometimes, right, I feel like their successes really outweigh mine in terms of like, I feel and care about theirs more because it's so meaningful. So yeah, hopefully your brother that will come around and you know allow you to have that feeling because you're a great dude and obviously you have a lot to offer. And you know, he, I think, would be silly not to take you up on it. <laughs> well, look, back to touch points. I want people to follow me on Twitter at Ben Kanagendorf. You are at Ecom Chase Diamond, uh, D-I-M-O-N-D. Uh, I also see you have a free weekly email newsletter, uh, weekly email marketing newsletter. You have a paid weekly email marketing newsletter. You have the the course at learnwithchase.com. You have the course on Gumroad. Uh, where else can people find you? Where else can people get more touch points and just uh, you know learn more about you and, and build a relationship with you? Yeah, I think Twitter is going to be probably enough for them. They're going to see enough of my tweets. Um, <laughs> that they're probably not going to want to see me anywhere else. So yeah, the, the Twitter would be great. And then if they want to join the free weekly newsletter there i think there's a link uh, a link in my bio so that also would be great that way they'll get access to, like the youtube videos and kind of other interviews and content i do well i'll put all of this in the show notes you have so many different places people can uh you know learn more from you which is great uh i don't know how you're active on all that stuff but i i want to learn more so uh, i'm glad to have met you it was cool talking to you buddy and uh thanks for coming on the show all right, man. thank you so much i really appreciate it Man, thanks so much for Chase coming on the show. Hey, quick housekeeping note before I do the outro here. I am releasing a bonus episode on Friday. 
it will only be available to subscribers. So if you're not subscribed on whatever podcast channel you're listening to, make sure you subscribe and you'll get the bonus episode on Friday. But again, thanks to Chase for coming on. It is amazing what he's been able to do at just 28 years old. Uh, He has a very bright future in front of him. He's very, very good at email marketing. And if you want to learn from him, go to learnwithchase.com. You can check out both of his courses there and see see if it's the right fit for you and your e-commerce company. Uh, also, thanks to Twitter. I would I would not have had this opportunity to interview Chase had it not been for Twitter. I wouldn't even know who Chase was. And so if you're not on Twitter already, go sign up for Twitter. If you're already on Twitter and you want to be part of this DTC community, uh, go follow Chase. Go follow me. Both links will be in the description. You'll get recommended more people to follow. Eric from Beer Brand, who's been on the show, is a big part of DTC community. So is Taylor Holiday. Uh, so go follow all of those people and you're immediately going to get recommended to follow more people. So if you're into e-commerce, Twitter's the place to be. If you're into anything else, I would imagine there's a community on Twitter as well. Uh, just go find your community on there and I, I don't think you'll regret it. So definitely go give me a follow, go give Chase a follow, follow Eric Taylor. Uh, I could recommend a ton of people. Uh, shoot me a DM on there if you want to want me to recommend some people to follow and see where I get value. But uh, thanks Chase for coming on. I appreciate all of you. Uh, If you're subscribed, be on the lookout for that bonus episode on Friday. Otherwise, I will see all of you next Wednesday.